You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. All right. Well, it's good to be with you. We are going through the liturgy this year, and this week we land on the story of Noah and the flood. And uh, this is kind of like the heart of mythology in the Bible, because there's a lot of myth going on here, and it can be hard sometimes to discern like what's, what's like fully true, scientifically speaking, and what is uh, what is like being embellished in a way to make a theological point. And this is the thing with myth. Myth is a, a super beautiful way of, of telling truth, of telling story. They're, they're true stories. Oftentimes when we think of myth, we think of like fairies and these things that like, you know, like a fantasy story. But fantasy, when it's written in a mythological way, like it still carries actual real truth in it. So like the story of Lord of the Rings, for example, this is a great example of mythology. What Tolkien wants to do in his book is write about a history of our earth. Like before anybody was writing down history, he would say, uh, there's a story of these beings who used to exist, all different kinds of races, and, and they came about in all these different ways. And there's parts that are just like him kind of trying to craft a world, but there's also parts where he's trying to tell truth in a way where it can be heard differently. So, for example, um, Gandalf at one point has to make a sacrifice to take out this Balrog. Uh, if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, I'm probably just talking gibberish at this point. Also, how, why have you not seen Lord of the Rings? That's fine. We forgive you. Uh, but there's this, this part where Gandalf is trying to take out this Balrog. He makes a sacrifice. And in making a sacrifice, he basically faces death. But then God, who Tolkien was a Catholic, so he's thinking about our God. God appreciates the self-sacrifice that Gandalf has made. And he brings him back to life and he glorifies him to take him to a higher level of glory within uh, the angels. Because in his realm, wizards were supposed to be angels that decided to be on earth to help out all the other races. Now, is that supposed to be Jesus in that moment? Someone who made a self-sacrifice, died, and then came back to life and was glorified? No. Because remember, in Tolkien's world, this is history. Jesus has not come yet. He's further down the timeline. The incarnation is way later. But Tolkien, as a Catholic, knows the story of Jesus, knows that God values that kind of self-sacrificial thing, and so he mirrors what Jesus is going to do. And he tells a myth that then becomes kind of Jesus-centric. It, it tells us truth. It tells us reality but it does it in a fantasy kind of way. The same can be true with Tolkien's friend C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis wrote a whole bunch of allegorical fiction, some mythology. He wrote the series of the Chronicles of Narnia, but he also wrote a sci-fi trilogy. And in both of these books, he tries to tell us fictional stories that are true. 
They may not have historically happened. There may not be somewhere a land called Narnia. Oh, I so hope there is, though. I don't, I'm hanging out for it. I watched uh, Shadowlands. It's a movie uh, about C.S. Lewis acted out by, oh, what's his face? Anthony Hopkins, thank you. Yeah, and there's this scene where a kid is upstairs in C.S. Lewis's attic and he sees a wardrobe and like he opens it hoping Narnia's there and it's not there. And I, I bawled watching the movie. It's like, I'm with you, kid. I'm sure it's there sometimes. I'm sure C.S. Lewis has been there and it's a documentary about what happened, but nonetheless. That's how real the story of Narnia becomes for me, though. Like in some ways, I experienced the Holy Spirit more tangibly in the stories of Narnia and the words of God more realistically in the story of Narnia than I sometimes do in the Bible. And maybe that's heresy. But there's these moments where Aslan speaks and I am overwhelmed because of what God does with that mythology, of what God does with that story. That C.S. Lewis looks at the Bible and he sees, yes, how Edmund is saved through a self-sacrifice that God makes in the form of a lion named Aslan. But he also sees how that, that lion has overthrown the witch through death by, by seeing a deeper magic that the witch did not see that could only be found in God laying down his life. He brings the Bible to life in a new way, in a new story, in a new myth. And so Aslan and the story of his sacrifice at the stone table becomes true. Is it myth? Yes. Is it true? Yes. Is it historical? No, but also yes. This is the beauty of these kinds of stories. It's a genre that, that teaches us more than, than sometimes just saying it historically will teach us. And so when we get to the story of the flood, we've got mythology all over the place. One of the mythology is that uh, it says that some angels decide to take up human wives and then get them pregnant and then they give birth to giants. Now, to us, that seems odd, but that's a narrative that goes all throughout the Old Testament. To some extent, God sends the flood to wipe out the giants, but guess what? They still exist after the flood. Numbers talks about not only how these giants still exist, but they're no longer just one clan of giants. They used to just be called the Nephilim, but now they go by lots of names. It seems that there's several clans of giants. There's the Nephilim, there's the Amim, there's the Zamzumim, there's the Rephaim. The giants have continued to spread out. And since the flood didn't wipe them out, God seems to find another way to try to bring an end to them. He does that in the conquest of the Old Testament. In the conquest of the Old Testament, which I know is troubling passages to all of us, including me, if you pay really close attention, at least one scholar will point out, it only seems the times where they're like really supposed to go to war with places are places where they spotted giants living. In other words, they're supposed to finish what was not done before through the flood, they're supposed to finish getting rid of the giants. But the book of Joshua says that they stopped and they just left some of the giants still alive. So they didn't finish what they were supposed to do. Is picked up later by who? Anybody? David. David goes to the Philistines. He sees that they've got a giant living among them and he takes Goliath out. 
But that's not where it ends. If you keep following David's life, he continues to kind of target giants. He takes out Ishbi, Banab, Lami, Goliath's brother, and some others. And so that whole story is supposed to be like an end to the giants. And that leaves us asking questions. Are the giants real? Did they exist at one point? If some of the oldest texts we found tell us that Goliath was six foot six, then are, are giants still among us today? Is that what the NBA is? Insert laughter here. <laughs> Jamin, you're so hilarious. Thank you. All right. So you see these kinds of stories pop up and you're like, is this real? Did this happen? What do we do with it? And then on top of that, you've got another myth going that God completely wipes out the earth with a flood. And we, in a scientific-minded world, try to think of how that could happen. Because we're like, there's not enough water out there to pull this off. I mean, to, to build up a flood all the way to the top of the mountain peaks doesn't exactly seem plausible to us. And we know God can do anything, and he can do anything supernaturally. He doesn't have to follow the rules of science, but, but would he do that specific thing? And so we're left asking these questions like, what is science? What is myth? What is real? And where's the truth in all of it? And you might make some different discernments on this. It's different for everyone. So like last week, we talked about the creation story. Did it literally have to happen in seven days? My answer to you personally is a no. That's not what the Bible meant to communicate with the creation story, right? I gave you like seven other things that the creation story is trying to say that we usually miss because we're so focused on trying to make it happen literally instead of mythologically. The same thing we can ask with the story of the flood. Did this literally happen? Is it completely made up? Or is it somewhere in the middle? And for me, somewhere in the middle is a good place to go because a lot of ancient cultures had stories about a flood. And that implies to me that people have a, a collective remembering across cultures of a crazy flood that happened. And they all write about it differently. In the Numa Elish of Mesopotamia, they wrote about their own Noah, except guess who he was? He was a giant. <laughs> so it was like the giant was the one that lived on in the ark. Whereas the Hebrews wanted to tell a different story. God wasn't out to save the giants. God was out to save the humans. The humans were the ones who carried on through this flood. So already we see that the Hebrews want to tell the same story, but want to alter the details so that the rest of the world understands truth, understands God, understands good theology. It's not Gilgamesh who is saved. It's Noah. It's not the giants. It's the humans. That God had mercy on the humans. Did the waters actually have to rise to the highest mountain peak? I think the answer is no. I think mythologically it did. Why? Because God wanted to baptize and cleanse the entire planet. The Bible is trying to say things were so messed up that the entirety of the earth had to be like wiped out, cleaned up, and started over again. So the Bible wants to over-embellish this point to tell you myth, to tell you truth, that it went all the way to the top. But they also needed to go all the way to the top. Why? 
because they, they, they believe in a different world than we do. They had that flat earth idea. If you remember what I talked about last week, they believed that God pulled up the ocean and left a bunch in the sky above a glass ceiling. And so the flood is not pictured as normal rain clouds. The flood is pictured as God opening up doors in the glass ceiling and the ocean pouring in. So if I have, if I blow up a bag, a Ziploc bag, and I submerge it underwater, what's it going to look like? An air pocket, right? It's just a blown up bag underwater. There's no water in it. If I poke a hole in the top of the Ziploc bag, what happens? Right. All of the bathtub water, I guess is what I put my bag in. I don't know. All of the bathtub flows through the hole into the bag, and now the bag is completely submerged all the way to the top of the Ziploc. That's the kind of story that the Bible writers need to tell because the ocean in the sky has broken through onto the earth. And we don't have that kind of belief from a scientific perspective. We don't believe in a glass dome over us. But we can understand why you would tell that story from a mythological perspective. Furthermore, what was already existing in the creation story before God even started? Anybody? Water. The world was just water. So, in this story, when the world returns to just water, what is the Bible communicating? New creation. We're starting over. We're back at the start. Humans are about to kind of be created again, but they're already there. And so we're left with asking these questions, like when we get into mythological stories, what's real and what's not? And some of this is probably preference, because Jamin's a nerd, and he likes the Bible has giants in it, right? And so he wants that part to hold true, whereas Jamin also has no problem with science, and he doesn't feel like the flood needs to be carried out to its fullest extent. Yes, there was a flood. Yes, it was devastating. But did it have to get all the way to the top of the mountaintops? Jamin doesn't feel the need to go that far, especially when scientists are like, well, we can't believe in your Bible then if you're telling me I have to believe in that to know Jesus. Because I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is, not a, this is not a brick I need to put in your faith. Like that, that part doesn't matter to me. I, I would also argue with them like, well, if you need me to believe that angels had babies with humans, I'm not willing to go there. I can say, well, go mythologically then. Cultures all throughout history have claimed that their leaders are divine. So imagine somewhere in the ancient world that there was some really evil leaders that took over the whole entirety of the society and they claimed that they were divine and that their parents were angels. There you go. You've solved your mythology. You now have a kind of history that, that you can work with as myth. That's difficult for me because here's what I don't know from a scientific perspective. I don't know what angels can actually pull off and not pull off because the Bible doesn't tell me. So it's possible, in my mind that angels could have at one point crossed these boundaries that they weren't supposed to cross. I don't know the science of the spiritual, and so I can leave some space to say, I don't know what they can and can't do. I cast out demons on a weekly basis, so I know the spirits are real. The Bible actually goes so far as to tell you that some of the demons that you deal with are the disembodied souls of those giants. The Rephaim are in the underworld working with Satan. 
because they were made by spiritual beings. They weren't made by God. They don't belong in heaven. They don't belong on earth. So their souls are just kind of stuck waiting for judgment. As for the angels that committed this sin to create the giants, Jude 6 and uh, 2 Peter say that they've been locked up in a prison within the underworld, in the world of Tartarus, which in Greek time was a place where you locked up uh, the titans. So for the Jews, they're like, your titans are our angels that committed these sins. So when you look at these kinds of stories, they kind of hit you in a bunch of different ways, and you're left making judgment calls. I believe in science, but I also believe in the spiritual. And so I'm left telling the details. Creation story is actually a lot more about science, so I go a science route. The story of the flood feels a lot more about science, so I go the science route. But the story of uh, the giants, that one's a spiritual scientific hybrid of a story. And I think you have a choice as to what you're going to do with it. Here's part of the difficulty. The way that we often preach about the Bible in our churches is people don't have this flexibility. There's a rigidness to the way that we read the Bible to say it all has to be literal, despite the fact that I think the Bible wants you to know it's being written in a bunch of different genres. That mythology is oftentimes a part of what it's trying to do. Jesus isn't myth. Jesus interacts with the spiritual. Jesus was science interacting with the spiritual, so like I don't need to make up myth in that point. But this is the problem a lot of times with us is we go to extremes. There are some people who go to the extremes that everything is spiritual, right? Have you met them? I saw some TikTok video the other day of someone who was like, I kept finding flies in my house, and I realized that they're spies of Satan. Because no matter how many times I get rid of them, they just keep showing up, and they're spying on me. And I was like, oh, dear goodness, lady. This is, this is what happens when everybody thinks everything's spiritual. I woke up this morning, and my toast was burnt. It was Satan. No, no, <laughs> no. But then we go the science route sometimes, and we get convoluted the other way. I read an amazing book by, I think it just goes by Science Mike. The whole book was great as far as Christianity and science coming together. But the last few chapters were pure heresy within the traditional Orthodox evangelical, any church is heresy, where he's just like, therefore, Jesus wasn't the son of God. He didn't do miracles. He wasn't resurrected. And I'm like, dude, no, come on. Like, <laughs> you went too far your science route, man. You, you missed the point. Work with the spirit to find the lines, because they get blurry sometimes. It's okay in some of these stories if it didn't literally happen that way. That doesn't make it untrue. That's part of the difficulty for us in the 21st century is we are all about footnotes and historical evidence. And sometimes the Bible does not care about that. If it did, then all of your gospels would be perfectly aligned, and they're not. They tell stories differently. They remember the things Jesus said differently. They remember the numbers of how many people showed up to this or that differently. That doesn't make them untrue. That makes them human. And that makes their stories all the more uh, possible that they, they are remembering something because we remember things with different details. Some of you are going to remember me saying something very different than I said today. 
I know because I've talked to some of you about some of my past messages and you're like, I loved it when you said this. I'm like, I didn't say that. <laughs> but that's okay because you remembered pieces of it in a different way. Sometimes the spirit brings it to a different light and sometimes it hits us differently. That doesn't uh, mean that I wasn't up there preaching, right? And so uh, we're going to wrap up with one song, uh, that uh, a quick song that I wrote. That's just me kind of thinking over the idea of mythology and, and how it rings true and powerful to me. So the band will come up and we'll end with this. From apple trees to wardrobes, the Shire lands to Mordor, a wood in which worlds might exist. Mythology is calling me louder than reality, telling me to hear what it says. Tears fall down as lions speak, the spirit overwhelming me. Here I find truth in your main. Father, you're welcome to speak the truth in your way. If creation took much longer than a few days on the calendar, it doesn't make you less of my God. Flood was not as high as the mountain peaks and sky. I'd rather that you say that it was. If rain is not from crystal seas, I'm not lost my theology. I like the story better in gray. Father, you're welcome to speak the truth in your way. Tears fall down as lions speak, the spirit overwhelming me. Here I find truth in your main. Father, you're welcome to speak the truth in.